What up, Tate Schools? Welcome to another great episode of Tate School of Fitness, Fitness Corner Podcast. And on today's episode, we have a very special guest, Miss Dr. Jenica Lewis. She is the uh, director of the Center of the the Center of the Study for the New South at um, the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. She is also an author. Um, she has written well for what I have researched so far. Three books, Freedom, Narratives of African-American Women, uh, and also Brown All Over, and Bo Nia Marie Passes the Test, and also co-authored a book as well, uh, Dr. King is Tired Too, with Mac A. Bowman, excuse me, MD. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm well, and thank you for having me. That's Especially awesome. so, so close to Thanksgiving, so it's good to be in conversation. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Uh, excuse me for stammering over things early in this process. It's just so much you have accomplished in a very short period of time. Um, I, so I'm very fascinated by your journey. Uh, how did it start? When did you, when did you get into academia? I wanted to be a professor as soon as I found out what a professor was, which really wasn't until I got to college. Like I knew, I mean, I knew people taught at college, but my uh, first year I was a a first year student at Duke University and I had a black woman professor, um, Dr. Charlotte Pierce Baker, and the class was Designs for Black Women's Living. And we read Essence Magazine, we read Audre Lorde, we read Sonia Sanchez, and I was just fascinated by the fact that there was this college class that was all about talking about Black women, and I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, And so I knew I wanted to teach. Um, I have educators in my family, but it didn't occur to me to teach on a college level until I got to college. And then I knew, you know, that was going to be my path and just had to figure out, okay, get a PhD. How do you do that? Okay, you know, this is what I want to study. And then, you know, went on to do that. Um, So that kind of lit the path and here I am. Yeah, it's it's amazing because I also have, I'm coming from a family of uh, educators, but they never, and they PhDs and everything, but they never talked about it, which was very shocking because when I got, when I actually entered college, I was like, oh, you have, these are the steps that you have to actually pursue to get, earn your PhD. Because I had no idea, like at all, you know, you know, at all. And being in that environment and coming across professors who look like us was mm-hmm. life changing. Um, so that sparked more in on my personal journey to become an avid reader and wanting to hear people's stories and seeing things in a whole new light. So that um, I, I really think college, I know it's a huge debate now, like, should you go or should you not go? Is it worth it or not? And I know cost is ridiculous. It is. But I think those experiences on campus, I think college more was more of a networking thing. Absolutely. And and that exposure to different experiences. And I mean, even going to Duke being a you know, predominantly white institution, I had so many black professors who were like, Hey, <laughs> what can I do to, you know, help you and support you and 
And I mean, it just really felt like a supportive environment and community. I had a black history professor, Dr. Raymond Gavins, and he supported me in doing research um, on institutions in Georgia, um, education and religious institutions. And so it really is that, you know, exposure and, and growing that network. Absolutely. It's so valuable um, to just develop, becoming who you are because uh, college put us in situations uh, to grow, especially when you go off to school, you know, mm-hmm. um, because you don't have that voice of your parents, even though you still communicate with them, but they're not there 24 seven. And so and you learn to advocate for you know yourself but also be part of a community on a you know on a greater level so absolutely yeah absolutely and that that's valuable because you take that over into whatever your field you go into if you become an entrepreneur if you work you still want to you need those skills you learn soft skills you learn hard skills you need those skills so it's very very important um i want to ask you how long have you been a professor Goodness, I've been at my current position, and I'm associate professor of English too for 12 years. But then I, I taught at Spelman College for a year before that, um, and then at Northwestern as a graduate instructor for three years before that. So um, probably total a 16 or 17 years. Wow! Wow! Yeah, that's remarkable. Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that's remarkable. It flies by definitely. Um, but, of course, you love it because you're still doing it, you know? I do. I do. And it's, I mean, just that opportunity, especially to mentor students who look like me, um, to be part of, you know, those communities and just to teach what I love. Like, I get to decide every semester, all right, what do I want to talk about with who, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I teach English. I teach Africana studies. I teach women's and gender studies. And then in the spring, I'm doing a class um, about black women writers who write about the South. And so just even being able to pull like, all right, I want to talk about, you know, Alice Walker, The Color Purple. I want to talk about um, Jasmine Ward, who's one of my favorite, you know, current authors, writes about, you know, Mississippi and New Orleans. And so just thinking about what are the conversations I want to have and and back to the point about exposure. What do I want to expose students to that might not be, you know, what they see? Mm-hmm. Um, every day, even though North Carolina is, you know, Southern, those who haven't been to Georgia, haven't been to Alabama, haven't been to Mississippi, you know, what um, experiences do they need to read about to, you know, kind of grow their understanding of the world too. So. Absolutely. Now, and I and I can only imagine being in that environment where you are are surrounded with individuals who think of ideals all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's such a stimulating environment to have and then you create that space where they can where they're allowed to do that so that's that's amazing in itself because i always feel like individuals who constantly think of new things and look at things from a different view vantage point is there is is something special that can happen when you get a group of those individuals together um, yeah, and one thing that's been really cool is that um, we have a, a big network of black women professors on campus. And so I had a research group um, of four or five black women. And depending on the project, we work together on things. So we have one group that looks at um, what we're calling mother schooling. And it's, you know, the experiences of black mothers, especially um, supporting students during the pandemic, like how are 
Um, they making sure their kids get what they need, um, what support do they need. And then um, another project we're looking at um, black women's experiences like health and social mobility wise coming back from the pandemic. So it's been cool to be like, hey, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, talking with other black women professors, like, all right, you're in sociology. You're looking at it from this perspective. I'm in literature. I'm looking at, you know, at it from this perspective. You're in education and, you know, we all come together and we also have a good time too. Like mm-hmm. just how can we figure things out together? And so um, that's part been a, a nice part of the network too. I'm doing it in community um, and, you know, never having to figure out things by myself. Yeah, that, that has to be absolutely awesome um, to lean in with your fellow sisters to get things done, mm-hmm. to discuss. So that sounds so rewarding to do that. Um, and speaking, you mentioned the pandemic. How did it affect how you actually was able to help your students last year? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And even before the pandemic, um, I would always have students coming to me, especially, you know, students who look like me and saying, like, this is the situation. Like, how can I, you know, finish my education? I may be working. I might be a parent. I might be, you know, doing all these things. And I'm like, all right, let's sit and figure it out. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, This is what you need to do for the classes. But you got to take care of your family. You have to take care of your, you know, of your home environment. And so what can I do to help support you? And so that was some conversations that you know I've been having for years with students and so then when when it came to um, what everybody was experiencing it's only the natural question for me like all right how as faculty you know can we support y'all's learning um, mm-hmm. and so there were definitely students who were needing more some who were you know at home and trying to figure out space where they could do their work and so and, you know from my perspective, it was more about like what is needed so you can keep doing what you need to do. But then I saw, you know, some of my colleagues like, well, they're not turning their video on and they're not doing this and they're not doing that. And like, okay, well, do you know what they're trying to do? Like, do you know that? And, and I'm at teaching at home with my kids learning in, you know, the next room or in the same room. And so I'm like, you know, if you think about what you're experiencing and then you, you know, multiply it, um, they're showing up. You might not see their faces, but they're showing up. So what can you do to actually help them continue their educational journey? So it definitely has been different, but I think it's just opened up more conversations about what's needed in general, you know, for our students to be able to show up and still learn while they are, you know, still living their lives. So I'm like, we're not back to normal, (laughs) you know, still, Mm -hmm dealing with the same things but how can access look different yeah as a result of what we've all experienced absolutely and that's so important because again like you said um i think people of course everyone's going through a lot a lot was going on last year but people was complaining about that not just in the academic space but in the workplace of mm-hmm. why they're not turning the camera on why they're not doing this why they're and doesn't matter they're there you had some people who was working they're showing up yeah make it valuable yeah for them to be there right absolutely I had students who were you know in the car driving from work like hey i'm here and i'm like i'm glad you're here you know mm-hmm. don't look at the camera while you're driving like, yeah. <laughs> you know, they were, wanted to be in space and they showed up however they could 
Exactly. And that's that's so important because I feel like that shows their dedication and their drive to get it done. You know, because it was, again, it was a lot going on and they still focus on, I need to get this education. I need to finish this class because um, I'm actually in school working on another degree myself. And I remember when they, when everything shut down, I was in class and they kicked us all out. So it was, we didn't have any direction. The professor was highly upset. He was like, oh. I'm getting a text. They're telling me to send you all home. And we was like, what? He was like, you need to leave now. And it was just chaos trying to get off campus because you you tell everyone to leave at the same time. So traffic is, yeah, it was was chaos. It's very chaotic. And um, from that point on, school just became very stressful because... Nope, you didn't know anything. You didn't know what to tell people. You didn't know if you should just pass people, fail people, or what. You know, so I can only imagine. I think because people were surviving, they just didn't think about that that part of it. And, you know, um, us who are in this space, we remember all this. And we was trying to adjust and we was trying to make sure that we did the best that we could actually possibly do and come up with. Um, Right. And and like you said, you also having children, children, and they going through it as well with their online education. So mm-hmm. how was that for you to be in that space and you actually professor and you seeing how they teachers was actually helping them through this? How was that for you? good because you know mostly we can't be in the classroom you know all day and I have a now third grader and sixth grader so they were second and fifth grade um last year and I had relationships you know with their teachers already to be able to say like like a lot of parents hey you know I'm still working from home during the day my husband's working from home during the day what what do I need to be able to do you know to support them and my second graders teacher said well you know we want them to be able to ask us still even though we're not in the classroom to ask us um the questions what they need and I would hear her you know on online on class and and hear the ways that you know her teacher were supporting her and um, you know, asking questions and encouraging them to use the chat. And I know with the really small kids, it was hard because they can't just, you know, type what they need, but, you know, encouraging her to communicate and say, okay, speak up. You have a question, you know, mm-hmm. type in the chat. Like, can I, you know, talk to you after this lesson or whatever? So it helped me to encourage them to advocate for themselves. But I also know that everybody wasn't able to do that in the same way. Yeah. So, it, I think it was a learning experience for all of us, but we're going to keep seeing the effects, especially, you know, with the um, students of what sunk in, what they didn't understand, what they understood. And, you know, with test scores um, this year, because they went back to the um, beginning of grade test. And so um, one, you know, big concern is how, is the educational system going to fill in the gaps of what was lost? We can't just come back and be like, all right, we're back. Mm-hmm. So just being able to, to keep saying like, all right, I, I know my kids are, are doing well, but like what needs to be done overall for, yeah. for yeah. students to get what they need? Yeah. So, and, and I know the teachers heard it all in people's houses, but also being able to hear them and how they communicate and, you know, 
and, and kudos to all the educators because you know a lot of them were doing it with their kids at home too yeah um but it just really helped me to to see what the classroom experience was like online but also to um, be able to say like okay what support is needed um you know coming back but also moving forward yeah because, yeah. yeah absolutely and and, and i you that's great points that you brought up because I think also one of the things was access. A lot of individuals yeah. didn't have access, you know, mm-hmm. the appropriate internet speed, uh, things like that. So the, what did they lose? You know, what, what was really lost, you know? And in Charlotte, um, the system spent like a million dollars on hotspots um, when the pandemic first hit, but then it was like, all right, well, how are the students going to be able to get the hotspots? Are they going to be, you know, on buses, but they can't be on buses because, you know, they're not vaccinated. They're not, you know, this and that. And so, so a lot of questions were like, all right, this is how we should solve it. But it's like, oh, well, that's not going to work because who's going to drive them to the bus to use the hotspots? Mm-hmm. Or who's going to, you know, or even um, allowing the students to take the Chromebooks or the laptops home if they don't have the internet, like you just said, what are they doing? And so I think, you know, there will continue to be questions there too. Yeah. And speaking of power, let me just make sure my, my device is charged. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that is so, um, that again, it's the effects of this is going to go quite, it's going to be, years and years of what we went through last year um especially black and brown individuals because when it comes to when it came to access our communities was affected the most um and again you can't if you already was working multiple jobs or working very long hours or whatever you was doing um and you couldn't get to you was already struggling before this how were you going to be able to actually uh manage uh the having your kid at home and being educated through this you know that's one of the i i just feel i feel for people and um this really sh- i think everything was kind of highlighted highlighted of our educational system and our health care system last year yes. um, a lot of leak a lot of weak spots um, in it and if we're going to be a world that's moving forward with all this technology and all this stuff people talk about you don't take care of the basics like it should be high speed internet everywhere personally right. I personally believe that it should be everywhere because it should be everywhere yeah, it's not just you know, at certain times. Exactly. It should be everywhere because that's the only way that you're going to have people connected and they're going to be able to actually um, keep up with uh, everyone else. Because even though I think even people don't, they don't realize, even if you do have it, you still have to be able to learn how to use it. Um, use it for educational purposes, educate yourself, not just in a school system but just learning period and but it still need to be available it still need to be it need to be there it need to be in the infrastructure uh period for that to be done um do it also i want to i want to kind of switch gears now 
and talk about you being an author and that process and what was the first book that you actually written, you wrote, um, and what was that process like? Like, what made you say, I'm going to write a book? Um, the first book I wrote was Brown All Over, and it's about a little boy who is discovering his color and that his you know whole family is brown. And this is true story. My son was two years old, and he looked at me one day and said, you are brown all over. And... I guess they were learning colors um, Mm -hmm. in preschool and, you know, it's like, oh, red, what's red? Oh, orange, what's orange? You know, what's brown? And it just like something clicked in his head like, oh, mommy, you're brown and I'm brown and, you know, we're brown all over. And I said, that's a great title for a book. Mm. And so I sat there and I wrote the story like just one afternoon and the story was that this little boy was trying to decide what to do with his colors and he got to brown and was just like what should I make brown um should I draw chocolate should I draw this should I draw that and he's like oh I got it and he draws his family and once I had the story outlined I um found a publisher and got it illustrated um but what was really exciting was the conversations after the book because i would go and read to classes and um some you know kids were just really excited like i'm brown but what was so interesting was the kids who um were not brown would say well is this book for me too and i said well what do you use to draw yourself and draw your family? And, and, you know, even white kids don't say, you know, I choose a white crayon or mm-hmm. whatever, or the paper's right. Well, I choose peach or I choose orange or I choose, you know, light brown, or I choose dark brown. And so then they got into conversations about um, what we look like and how we can be in a family and have five different colors, you mm-hmm. know, in the family because people are different shades. And so I just wanted kids to be able to celebrate whatever color they are. Like if you're brown, if you are peach, if you were orange, if you were, you know, yeah. how did you get to be that color? Who else in your family is that color? And so um, I still love the conversations that I've had about the book um, just to be able to say, and I used to say, you know, nobody's favorite color is usually brown. Usually when I ask kids what their favorite color is, nobody says brown, but then after I read the book, and, you know, they can get excited about being brown and yeah. brown skin. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That yeah, I um I think during that stage of our lives, of course you say we learn so much in those first six years, but during that stage of our lives to actually learn and appreciate our shade <laughs> is is so powerful. This yeah. is absolutely powerful, you know. So the fact that you was able to illustrate that and demonstrate that for generations to come because I'm brown all over is set and so important um, to us as a people. Um, people may not realize that, but as we get older and start learning more about ourselves, we learn everyone doesn't appreciate their they skin tone. We, we know that's the truth. You know, just... They don't. And to learn at a young age that it's okay and it's your skin tone um, and to be proud of your skin tone, that is absolutely amazing. That's life changing, I believe. It is. And it's um, so funny. My, my son, you know, he's 11 now. 
but he would then, you know, tell people, he would, he would say, well, you know, I love being brown, and I'm sorry you're not brown, because I love being brown. And <laughs> one day we were at the swimming pool, and I can't remember what the conversation was, but he was telling uh, a, a, an older gentleman, was uh, a white gentleman, you know, I, I'm sorry you're not brown. Because being brown is just, you know, just great. And the man said, well, you know, we're all the same. And he was just like, no, 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 because I'm brown. And I love being brown. He was like, no, we're not not all the same. Like, no, because I'm brown. And so, you know, having that conversation has been great. I'm like, you know, I want my children to be excited to be brown. Absolutely. He's like, I'm sorry you're not me because I'm already brown. And, you know, it's it's beautiful. Absolutely. I love that. Exactly. That that is that is a great story. Um, I love it. I love every last bit of it because, you know, and I I feel like something like that should be in schools, period. Like across the board, that should be in schools. Um, Because, again, it's so important because when you constantly see images of your skin tone, not in a positive light. You need that reinforcement. You need that positivity behind how you look, who looks like you, and what's behind. So I just think that's great. Now, from Brown All Over, what was your next book? So the next book was Bo Nia Marie Passes the Test. And so that's, well, actually, Bo Nia Marie and Freedom Narratives were the same year, 2017. And the story behind both of those, so Freedom Narratives of African-American Women is my um, research book. It's my book based on my dissertation. And it came from this question of what freedom looked like for Black women from the 19th century really to the present. And I started in the 19th century um, because, you know, we think about the Emancipation Proclamation, which we know doesn't mean that Lincoln freed the slaves. But I came across this research that said that the um, first uh, African-American men that were freed by legislation was those who were fighting, of course, on behalf of the union, but then also their families. So black women who were married to the soldiers um, also, you know, gained their freedom legally, right? Mm -hmm. And so my question was then like, okay, well, what about those who weren't married? What about those who, you know, weren't, you know, attached Mm -hmm. to the specific, you know, policies? How did they um, earn or think about their freedom? And so I looked at these different um, stories and narratives, including Lucy Craft Laney, which, Mm -hmm. you know, brought me back um, to Augusta to do more archival research. And so I'm thinking about, you know, Black women and freedom in that book. And at the same time, I, you know, have... My, we have our second child, and she's getting a little older, and she's uh, she was at that point um, three or four, and she said, well, where's my book? She said, Justice got a book, because Brown all over had, had a kid named Justin. Mm-hmm. And so um, that book, Boney and Marie Passes the Test, is about a little girl who is a, a scholar athlete. She um, plays uh, softball, but she's not um, confident in test-taking. And so, um, and, and that book is a, 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 a rhyming book, but it's about a little girl who has to take a test and she writes, um, and she studies, she writes her answers on her shoes mm. and then her mom washes her shoes and she thinks she's not going to pass the test. 
And she realizes that by writing those answers on the shoes, she was actually practicing and studying. And, you know, she passes the big test. Mm. And so I wrote that book. Actually, I used to be an, um, an academic coach for a college athletic program and um, had, you know, a student who used to write on her shoe as mm. a learning mechanism. And so thinking about all the different ways we learn, but that, you know, by coming up with your own strategies, you really can pass the test. It might not be, you know, the same way as other people. And I always ask the students, you know, well, um, why do we not, you know, write and leave the answers, you know, on our sheets? Because <laughs> yeah. like, that's cheating. But yeah. like, but if you're writing on a piece of paper, that's note taking, right? Mm-hmm. So whatever your strategy looks like, so you pass that test. And I'm also thinking about. Um, girls and um and stem and how people you know say you know girls aren't necessarily as confident in sciences and math and and thinking like oh we just need to look at it a little bit differently like how are we learning how are we um excited about math she was thinking the little girl in the book is thinking about the circumference of the ball Mm -hmm. right so Mm -hmm. you know when we think about how we put math to work also adding sports also adding um the support of her family and uh, and her teacher, like that's how we we um, ensure success for mm. our girls. And of course, it's a brown girl in the mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. So, um, I wanted to use that book to think about all of these different things, right? What support do we need to pass the big test? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, how are we successful in that way too? And and my little girl now loves math. Um, mm-hmm. She like hidden figures, Katherine Johnson, you know, all big influences for her. And I'm mm-hmm. all about how do we change the story so that it's not about, you know, what our deficit is, but like where our strength is instead. Absolutely. And from that, then did you go into co-author the book with your father? Yeah. So that book. So we, we're all storytellers and my dad, um, he's in medicine, he's a cardiologist, but he was an English major. And so he would always, you know, tell us these stories. And this particular story really stuck with me because um, I grew up knowing his mother, my, my paternal grandmother, um, until she passed away. And she, um, you know, came from a sharecropping family in South Georgia, um, grew up. Um, got married. My grandfather was in the military overseas and she decided she was going to go to college. And she had um, two small children, my dad and my aunt. And she went to um, Albany, now, you know, now Albany State University, but she went to Albany State College and she was working as a um, waitress in a, in a restaurant and raising my dad and my aunt and going to college. And so mm-hmm. she used to like have my dad, he was eight, or nine reading books for her under the table while she was working and then he had to give a book report and then she would write her paper and you know mm-hmm. but this story in particular was about um when she walked them to see dr martin luther king when he came to albany and you know part of the narrative is that dr king you know found albany one of the worst most racist places he had ever been and actually said like i'll just leave like mm-hmm. and, you know because they were gonna run him out of town and he and he just said, you know, I'll just leave. But my grandmother walked my dad and my aunt. Um, she wouldn't let them, them ride the buses cause she didn't want them riding segregated buses. So she said, we'll walk wherever we go. And so my dad would tell this story about being so tired because they walked 
so long to see Dr. King and he just remembers like waiting and waiting um, at um, one of the local Baptist churches. And then when Dr. King got there, he was tired. Mm. And so my dad remembers feeling really let down because he had heard all these things about Dr. King and he's this great man. And he's like, he walked in and he was tired and I was tired because I had walked because we didn't have a car. And of course, you know, after hearing the story a few times, I told my dad, I said, you have to write that down. Like, just write it down. Don't worry about it. Just like, just write it down. And so he wrote it down on a piece of paper. And I, you know, typed it up and sent it to him like, all right, is this what you wrote? And he was like, yes. And then I got um, one of my high school uh, classmates who's an illustrator to illustrate it um, and to draw, you know, draw the images. And we had it for a couple years. I gave it to my dad, I think for Christmas. And then I said, this needs to be published. And so I was republishing Brown all over with a company called Bookbind Press. And he said, do you have any other projects? And I was like, no. And I was like, oh, well, I do have this other project. And I said, let me just send it to you and show me what it would look like. And they sent back the proofs. And I was like, this is done. You know, we did some light editing, um, but we were able to, to publish that. And it was really powerful last year after you know the murder of George Floyd, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, which you know we know today, um, accountability has been held to say what are the stories that still need to be told, mm-hmm. and that was one of them that it was important to 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 get out. So my dad jokes and says I made him write a book. And I was <laughs> like, you were gonna tell me that story one more time before you know. I was going to write it down myself. So yeah. I just wanted to make sure it was your words and your story and what you experienced. Um, and so uh, that was last year in 2020 wow. that that one was published. Wow, that is absolutely amazing. Um, again, to have the gift to be able to put that together, get that out and get it out to the world. Um, that's That's very, very special. And the fact that you did it with your father, the last one, I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's all about family. I see because you had a book for your son, a book for your daughter, and you did a book with your father. And that is, yeah, that is really, really, that's, that's, that's awesome. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, so what's next for you? That's a great question, too. So I have been, um, on research leave this semester, actually, um, doing research on um, black families and land um, and how we own land, how we use land, how we use what we grow on land um, for wellness. And so um, we have some some family land in Thompson that hasn't been in Thompson, Georgia, that hasn't really been used for much. We used to go fishing when we were, you know, my grandmother was um, still alive and she and my dad purchased this land just so, you know, so we would have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I've realized, especially um, during COVID-19, so many people are, are creating their own paths and plans for wellness, whether it's, you know, growing on a balcony, growing on the kitchen table, um, or using family land. And it's a whole whole movement. Um, so I've been um, researching that and it's not just going to be, you know, research, but it's really this like living um, project about um, how we access what's grown on black land. And so I have a student who is creating this database of um, black owned land in the Southeast and 
uh, you know, who is the contact, if it's something that's grown there, how do you access it, um, and just this kind of living database, but then also tying it to what are our stories about, you know, health and wellness in Black families as, as tied to the land. So that's what I'm working on now. And then also my maternal grandmother um, was a chef and caterer for years and started her own business when she was in her 60s, and she's now in her 80s. And of course, she's like, well, then, you know, I don't need to tell my story. And I'm like, yes, you do. So mm-hmm. working with her to um, do kind of uh, stories behind the recipes. So it's held in the family, but also, you know, so it's there. And she was in Athens, Georgia, um, you know, working with the colleges that were working with, you know, UGA at a time when, you know, we weren't really allowed to be <laughs> at mm-hmm. UGA. And she was um, then catering at the country club and when we weren't able to be at the country club and so you know just even thinking about what are these stories about um african americans and food and entrepreneurship so working with her now on um, telling her story that she (laughs) could Mm -hmm. care less if it's old but i think it's just really important to to you know you started a business you created you know these things for a family um and you should be celebrated too so family stories and uh, Black families, land, and wellness are what I'm working on right now. And um, actually just finished a draft of a book on Black girlhood and activism. Mm-hmm. So that hopefully will be out next year. But just telling stories about um, how people like Angela Davis, um, Asada Shakur, um, Toni Morrison write about and look back on girlhood um, as where their freedom comes from. Yeah, that's amazing. Out of out of all that you have accomplished and what you got, what brings you the more the most joy? My family, <laughs> they are they are just you know, every day is a is a new different day. And my husband Daryl is um he teaches at UNC Charlotte too, and so we've you know known each other since college, and to you know be on this journey together, and you know kids where it's just like all right what today <laughs> what are we doing today my youngest yeah. daughter acts she's an act she's an actor and you know we were talking about what her stage name is going to be versus you know her full name and and my son is into like architecture and engineering and so i just learn a lot from them and it just lets there be no no dull moments at all because you think yeah. you know something and then it's like well actually all yeah. right, well, let me think of things a different way. Yeah, yeah, that that's true. That's true. And um, I'll also, uh, you mentioned that about the healthy, healthy ways that people are growing on their land, uh, finding ways. What do you do for your health? What do you do for your mental health and your physical health? Yes, okay. So I, I walk a lot and... Um, during, especially during the pandemic. So this was one thing I, I will also credit my daughter with um, because she was then seven and she'd be like, uh, we need to play. Like, it's time to play. Like, just because we're home don't mean we not have a recess. Like, come on. So mm-hmm. we were outside, you know, on the sidewalk in front of our house doing hopscotch, kickball, all kinds of things. But walking, like, with neighbors, and that's been one thing that's that's consistent. Like, I, I, I wake up and I have to walk. And if I don't walk in the morning, and I got this from my dad, because he runs several miles every day just to, you know, just for mental 
wellness, but mm-hmm. I'm like that with walking where I'm like, I, I have to walk. Um, and that's been something good too. And like walking with other people for, you know, social life and, you know, to be able to see people walking, walk in different neighborhoods, walk in different paths. Um, mm-hmm. That's, that's been my main thing. That's awesome. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today. Um, I think that, Oh, I'm, I'm just amazed by all the work that you have accomplished and what you have coming up. And I think it is very important what you do because a lot of people talk about it, but you are actually putting action behind the words of getting our stories out. So I just want to thank you very much for coming on here and I wish you all the success in the world. Thank you. And thank you for everything you're doing. I think it's just inspirational just thinking about like fitness and education and wellness and community and as that's what's keeping us alive. So um, thank you for everything you're doing, too. Well, thank you very much. And I will be catching up with you. That sounds great. All right now. Bye now.